Hey, it's Stephen Henderson. Today on the podcast, we're going to talk about a really cool milestone reached here in the city of Detroit. The first quarter mile of electrified road debuted here recently. It will charge an electric vehicle, whether it's standing still in a parking spot or driving through. We're going to talk about how big an innovation this is with Tim Slusser, who is the Chief of Mobility Innovation at the City of Detroit. Then we're going to have a wider conversation about this kind of technology and how it fits into the path to our electric future. Is this really the key to getting things moving to a place where more people, or even most people, are using electric vehicles? And what are the other barriers that stand in the way? discuss it, we've got Tim Slusser here. He is Chief of Mobility Innovation at the City of Detroit. Tim, welcome to Detroit Today. All right. Well, thank you. Good morning. Yeah. I don't know that I've seen a cooler headline than I did when you guys debuted this quarter mile of 14th Street. Let's talk about how this road project came about, what inspired Detroit collaborating with these other partners to build a wireless EV charging road. Yeah, so this was actually a, uh, a state of Michigan project, right? So this is part of uh, you know, governor's initiative um, and a project going through the Michigan Department of Transportation. Uh, and so the city of Detroit uh, was part of a team that included the players that you mentioned uh, that uh, applied for this, right? So we uh, succeeded in that competition, and now we have the country's first um, wireless charging public road. Okay. And it, it is extremely exciting. Like this is a technology that like you're saying, uh, is, is just like our heritage and paving that first mile, just like our heritage and having the first, you know, three color, four direction stoplight, the first stop sign in the city of Detroit. So, uh, you're absolutely right. We have been at the forefront of not just the, uh, automobile, uh, industry innovation, but also transportation infrastructure innovation. Uh, so it's really, really exciting to, to be here and to have this opportunity uh, to test these new technologies. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about how this works. I guess there are coils in the ground that help to charge a vehicle. I, I'm not an expert on any of this stuff. I don't really understand how much of it works, but it all is sounds very futuristic and 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 really cool again so walk me through how this actually works and and i guess why it works yeah so the first thing i want to say is this is not necessarily like brand new technology in the sense of wireless charging has been around right so my phone you, does it exactly yeah. <laughs> right this is the same exact type of technology that is in your your iphone your android phone um you know when you set it down on the charger before you go to bed and it wirelessly charges your phone it's just scaled up it's just bigger right so uh, it's referred to as inductive charging it uses magnetism to transfer electricity. Um, it's inherently safe to use um, and has been designed so, right? So really what uh, this is, is, it's a proof of concept. When you start to lay this type of infrastructure down, we don't know if we need every single mile of road electrified, if we need every two, uh, you know, every other, right? Every fourth mile of electric road, right? Um, so that's part of what we're looking for. And we're going to have the opportunity to test. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's talk about where this is, 14th Street uh, in Detroit. Is there anything 
particular about why you chose where we're doing this first in Detroit? Yeah, so first, it's one part, you know, the project team that came together, right? So we had a, a fantastic team uh, that did include uh, Michigan Central and New Lab uh, and, and Next Energy and others, you know, that are all in this area of the city of Detroit. And so by locating it um, adjacent to, you know, the Michigan Central campus where New Lab is operating. Uh, and if you don't know, New Lab is, um, it, it's a company that, uh, is designed around helping startups grow, mm -hmm. helping them uh, to further develop and refine their innovations, uh, get them into the marketplace and all that sort of stuff. Um, so, you know, we uh, in the city, we're very supportive of co-locating this adjacent to those types of facilities such that we could not only bring uh, innovators down to test, but give them a space to actually, you know, uh, go back and take a look at the data and continue to develop and, you know, maybe do a little bit of, you know, light manufacturing and all those sorts of things. So, so strategically, uh, it was placed in a spot where we could offer more than just the road itself. Yeah. So I'm also curious uh, if I owned an EV right now, uh, and and of course there are lots of different models to choose yep. from already, uh, and I happen to to be in that uh, area. Would I be able to use this, and would it work with any of the models of EV that are on the road now? So the short answer is not today. And let me elaborate on that, right? So um, it can work with those vehicles that are on the market today. But what's missing, and you're, when you buy your cell phone, it comes standard with that wireless charging built-in. So your phone actually has a receiver inside of it that when you put it on that wireless charging pad, it can accept that, uh, that, that charge. Your car, your EV today, this is not a, a standard option uh, to get. So it's something that our automakers are uh, certainly looking very, very closely at. They're uh, probably within the next year, a couple of years, uh, it'll be an option that you can add. Uh, and shortly thereafter, I expect this to be a standard option. Yeah. So I, I would imagine that, the, of course, the automakers are all over you guys about this uh, coming down and taking a look and saying, oh, my goodness, <laughs> we have to change maybe the way that we're building the cars or think about the way that we're building the cars differently uh, in order to take uh, advantage of it. Uh, I also want to talk about scale, though. Uh, so you did this along a quarter mile. As you said, it's unclear how much of this we might need mm -hmm. uh, if there were far more electric vehicles uh, on the road. What's the process look like for, I guess, making those kinds of decisions and then growing this, uh, making it something that, that uh, you know, maybe runs along Michigan, runs along Woodward, runs along Gratiot. Maybe it's on the freeways. Uh, how, how do you get from this quarter mile to a much bigger space? Yeah. So uh, again, yeah, it's the quarter mile that's on 14th Street. There is a planned approximately three quarters of a mile that will be on Michigan Avenue as part of the uh, reconstruction of that roadway here. Um, I believe it should start next year. Um, and so, you know, the reality is, next thing we need to do is start testing out various use cases, right? So we want to test uh, some transit use cases like our DDOT bus system. We want to test some use cases for like parcel delivery. Is this something that could help, you know, UPS, FedEx, Amazon, and others uh, actually start to clean and green their fleets because they could have a 
dedicated place to park and the vehicle automatically starts charging while they're delivering packages. So maybe they don't have to return back to the depot, you know, twice a day or something like that. Uh, we want to test, you know, our customers willing to opt in uh, to you know, buy this electricity because it's more convenient. Um, you know, so there's a number of different things that we need to test and start to collect that data on. So this is very much a proof of concept right now. Once mm-hmm. we start to collect that data and look at how it can impact the various use cases, then we'll have uh, the information to start to determine what does the next scale of this proof of concept look like? Yeah. But this is probably going to happen over a, a couple or a few iterations um, before we know, hey, we got to do every third mile of you know our freeways and every fourth mile of our uh, city streets and, and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Uh, there's also a, a part of the technology that I'm uh, particularly fascinated with, and I said this in the open, this works whether the car is standing still or whether the car is moving. And that seems to me to be... Uh, uh, I, well, it's just it's just really interesting. I don't know how that would work, right? Uh, it seems. I mean, my my cell phone. I can't um, I can't walk around uh, and charge that wirelessly. Not today. Not today. <laughs> but may, right? Uh, maybe maybe this is some of the technology that'll end up in my phone too. Uh, but why does it work both ways? That doesn't make. S- as much sense to me, I guess. So, so that's the the secret sauce, right? And that's what makes this installation so incredibly unique uh, and so exciting, right? Is that the vehicles will be able to charge even while they're in motion, right? Even at high speeds. Now, we're putting these on low speed streets. So mm-hmm. let's be clear. I'm not encouraging not anybody to yet. try and <laughs> test how fast they can go and have this thing charge. Um, but, you know, in, in the future, uh, as we consider those higher higher speed roads. Uh, this is certainly a technology that has been tested at those speeds uh, and is capable. But, um, you know, we are uh, we are able to test this because there are specific controls that allow the coils. If you if you looked at the, the photos of the installation, you know, the coils are every couple feet. And so what happens is as your vehicle drives over, there's a lot of communications happening between the coils, uh, the infrastructure that supports them and the vehicle. And so it's essentially the vehicle is telling the coils, this is where I'm at on the road. And it, you know, tracks the speed because of, you know, uh, how fast it's going from coil to coil. And so it can sync up, right? So that's kind of their secret sauce and, and part of what's so difficult with this this technology. Uh, but the company that we've selected has, has figured that out. Yeah. Uh, I also want to talk a little about your job. Uh, you are the chief of mobility innovation at the city of Detroit. That's not a... Uh, uh, a job that I can remember from the many years that uh, I had to cover city government in Detroit, right? Uh, talk about that role and how important that is, not just to things like EVs and uh, our, our future in terms of uh, individual transit, but this idea of mobility innovation, that phrase to me, I think is is really key. Yeah. So, you know, Mayor Duggan realized that the automotive industry and transportation industry around us were rapidly changing um, and informed this office back in 2016. And so I've been in this role for uh, just over two years. The beginning of this month, I celebrated my two-year anniversary. Uh, and honestly, I, I love my job. This is a, a fantastic uh, job. Um, it's really exciting, all the technologies and all the people that I get to meet and interact with, uh, both Detroiters and the innovators that, that we are um, you know, bringing into the city or helping to, to grow here in the city. Um, so, you know, but it's all about 
you know, helping technology bring economic development opportunities to the city, mm-hmm. right? Um, as we stated at the top of the, uh, the conversation here, Detroit has led the automotive industry in innovation for the last hundred years. We know that that's an extremely important industry. It's an industry we're proud of. Um, you know, we have our, our Detroit three, you know, automakers. Um, we need to continue finding ways to lead this industry. And, you know, 10 years ago when somebody said the word Uber, I was like, oh, that must mean cool or something like that, right? I didn't know even what it was. <laughs> and now, you know, you can't walk into a room and say Uber and not have someone not understand what you mean, mm-hmm. right? And so, you know, the same thing is going to happen with this type of wireless technology. The same thing is going to happen with micromobility like scooters and bikes. Like all this stuff is changing and it's not going to be a single solution that, that takes over. There's going to be a number of different solutions that continue to evolve. I, I can't promise you that scooters today are going to be the same 10 years from now. Right. It might be a completely different form factor. Right. Um, But my office and my role is here to make sure that where we are in the city of Detroit, we are in tune with where industry is headed. We are bringing that opportunity here. We are innovating and we're giving Detroiters the opportunity to define what that future should look like. So that's a big part of what this uh, this opportunity is, too. Right. Detroiters now have a voice to be able to say, I like this. I don't like this and help to shape what this should look like in cities across America in the future. And make no mistake, if we didn't bring this here, someone else would do this, and it might be software engineers in California, right? It might not be citizens in a city like Detroit. So that's really what we're striving for. Yeah, yeah. Uh, My my last question is about, uh, I guess, back to the scale question. I don't imagine that this quarter mile of road costs the same as a quarter mile of repaving the lodge or, or I-75. And, and I mean, obviously, uh, that's something that we would have to, to, to think about. But um, and over time, I would imagine it would the cost would come down as we're doing it more. Mm-hmm. But we have such a gap in funding for this kind of infrastructure, especially in this state. Yeah. I know that's not your responsibility, but I'm I'm wondering what what goes through your mind when you think about the enormous costs that uh, we would have to decide to 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 shoulder if we were going to make this uh, the way that that roads were built. So I love the way you frame that, and I appreciate it, and thank you because you framed it as what goes through my mind, right? Because it's <laughs> it's you're absolutely it's not my responsibility. I'm not the person who's in charge of repaving our roads or or even deciding necessarily like what should go under the ground, mm-hmm. right? But with this opportunity, you know, we we don't have toll roads in the state of Michigan, okay? And you know, as you mentioned, you know, my office is the Office of Mobility Innovation. We're focused on that intersection of innovation, economic development opportunity. So I can look at this, and the first thing that comes to my mind is, all right, is there a future where the quote-unquote toll road is actually an opt-in feature-rich environment? Hmm. So we, don't, we, can, we can put this infrastructure out there, and we can collect revenue from it. And that revenue, again, could be opt-in. So if you don't want to pay, you don't have to, right? But if you have an EV and you want to drive long distances and it increases your convenience, you could opt in. You could pay for that electricity. That electricity would drive revenue. And then is there an opportunity for there to be enough revenue that the next time you have to replace that road, it pays for itself? So could we deploy the road of the future tomorrow 
that pays for its replacement 10 years, 15 years, 20 years down the road, mm. and so on and so forth, so that we could remove the burden of having to pay for all of our roads in the future, right? Um, so, you know, there's there's kind of this, in my mind, opportunity for privatization with government, um, uh, you know, a government share in that revenue, yeah. right? Yeah. And so, so that's that's an idea. Yeah, I'm not no, here to try and scare people with that. I, I like the idea. Yeah, that's I mean, where my head goes. Especially what I like about it is that it gets to this idea of road use tax or fee, right? Uh, right now, uh, we pay for roads through gasoline taxes, yeah. which uh, are not about you so much as they are about, uh, well, uh, again, what you're doing at the pump. And, and increasingly, I think, uh, the smarter way to deal with, uh, with, with roads and their, their incredible need for support and money uh, is through use and thinking about ways in which use would help pay for uh, the maintenance of the road. So that's a cool idea. <laughs> That's why you're the chief of mobility innovation, <laughs> not just chief of mobility. Okay, Tim Slusser of uh, the city of Detroit. Great to have you here, and congratulations on uh, this incredible milestone. But uh, thanks for being here on Detroit today. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, when we come back, we are going to continue this conversation about our electric transit future. Nick Nigro, who's the founder of Atlas Public Policy, a Washington, D.C.-based firm that tracks data related to electric vehicles and climate change, he's going to join us to talk about what this kind of innovation means, how necessary it's going to be in the future, uh, and the things that we also need to be doing to make this transition. We also want to get going with you, our listeners, on the phones and on social. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. We have Nick Nigro here with us. He is the founder of Atlas Public Policy, a Washington-based firm that tracks data that is related to electric vehicles and climate change. Nick, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks so much. Great to be here. Yeah. So uh, I want to talk about, first, this innovation here in the city of Detroit. Uh, as I said in the previous segment, uh, this, is, this is what we do here in Detroit. It's not just that we make things, uh, we make things better. Uh, and this idea of a road that would charge EVs, whether they're parked or driving down it, I think is an incredible leap forward. Uh, I'm curious what your reaction is uh, to that news. So first and foremost, let me just say that I agree with you that Detroit has a long history of being a leader in innovation, uh, particularly in the automotive industry. And uh, this move to demonstrate this technology is just another good example of that. Um, charging wirelessly is going to play a role in certain applications, I think, in, in transportation. Uh, the role where I see it playing the most positive uh, is in the space of autonomous vehicles. You can imagine uh, in the near term over the next decade or so, decade and a half, uh, an increasing number of autonomous vehicles are going to be on our roads. They're in California right now. They're mm -hmm. being tested in Michigan. Uh, and getting those vehicles to charge wirelessly is going to be uh, more cost effective probably than trying to set up infrastructure uh, and have uh, tenants and such operate the charging 
for the vehicles. Uh, otherwise, I don't know. I think the jury's still out on the extent to which we're going to, you know, redo all of our road infrastructure and, and hook up uh, wireless charging. Uh, we're putting a lot of money right now into plugs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, uh, you know, the, the, I, I think time will tell there. So so I hear a little bit of skepticism, I guess, in your voice mm-hmm. about all of this, that, yeah, this is a, a cool innovation. Is it that you are not sure of its applicability or its its scalability that uh, that has you maybe a little less enthusiastic than I am about it. <laughs> well, let me, let me just say that it, charging comes in all shapes and sizes. Uh, you know, it it starts with a wall outlet. You can charge your car just by plugging it into the wall, mm-hmm. uh, and it runs all the way up to a megawatt of power, uh-huh. which is about the equivalent of a large Walmart. Uh, and so. And in between all that, you've got all kinds of different vehicles that are going to charge at different rates and have different needs. Uh, for a lot of people, they're going to charge at their house. Uh, that's what they do today, and I expect that to continue in the future. And so, you know, charging at your house where you already have access to good power is going to be more cost effective than than pulling up roads. Uh, it's it's applications where it's not for personal use that I think uh, wireless charging is going to play a larger role, and that autonomous vehicles one is the thing that jumps out to me. Yeah, now, I'm, I, I'm an, go ahead. Go ahead. So, I, I'm a technology optimist, and yeah. <laughs> you know I believe that we're going to be able to do a lot of things uh, in 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 quicker time than than the pessimists believe when it comes to electrification <laughs> of transportation. But you know, uh, ten years ago, people were saying that uh, you know we would have autonomous vehicles already on the roads uh, everywhere, and yeah. uh, we're quite a long ways away from that. Right. And so I, d- I don't want to get ahead of myself uh, here. You know, it sounds like one of those distinctions you're trying to draw here is between uh, individual use and more public use, right? And that's mm-hmm. a that's an argument that we have a lot here in Southeast Michigan as well, which is, you know, is the future here as reliant on everybody having a car or or two cars, which is pretty common in, in Detroit because we're such mm-hmm. car enthusiasts and, and driving themselves around all the time, or is the future more in public transit? Uh, and, and, you know, uh, it, it gets restricted in our minds sometimes here because we think, well, that means buses or that means a light rail. But, but you bringing up autonomous vehicles, I think, gets to this idea that public transit could look very different in the future as well. And, and I guess I, what I hear you saying is that that is, that is where the applicability of what we're doing on this charged road might have real power. In, indeed, you know, there's a movement nationwide to effectively try to electrify everything, uh, you know, from transportation to buildings. Uh, in in the world of transportation, that is scooters, that's bikes, that's buses. Hmm. A lot of people don't realize that we've sold a lot more electric bikes in this country than electric cars, and that's because it's a really practical way of traveling fewer than five miles in all kinds of situations. Um, there's there's a role for uh, autonomous vehicles, buses, light rail, train in in building a, a transportation infrastructure that doesn't require us to have personal automobiles. But that's up to us. That's up to the people we put into office and where we prioritize investments.
Yeah, yeah. So I, I want to talk about the the sort of bigger landscape in the country right now with regard to this kind of infrastructure and infrastructure innovation. There are there are some things that are I think fueling that innovation. Uh, the Infl- Inflation Reduction Act, for instance, and the infrastructure law that Congress uh, embraced are, are real opportunities, I think, to, to think faster uh, and, and act faster about these things. But I wonder when you look at the country where you're finding uh, states that are putting this to the best use and really thinking through what gets us from here to the future we imagine faster? That's a great question because it makes me think about how the the built environment of the country is so different. You know, I sit in DC where it's very practical to not own a car. Mm-hmm. My primary mode of transportation is my bike. Um, and, you know, I've also lived in California where you couldn't travel anywhere without a car. Uh, And so when you look at what is the future and how we're building the transportation system of the future, uh, the two laws you brought up, the infrastructure law and the Inflation Reduction Act, are really trying to make sure that whatever future we build, it's a climate friendly one. And it's one that's more energy secure. Hmm. Uh, We see hundreds of billions of dollars that are being made available uh, in direct spending from the government and hundreds more in billions in tax credits. Uh, and all of these things are geared towards uh, you know, reducing greenhouse gas emissions, uh, encouraging uh, more investment in disadvantaged communities, that's the Justice 40 program, and really ensuring that uh, the supply chain and the jobs that are created with that money are domestic or at least in countries that share our values. And, and when we think about the things that we need to do to get to, to to get to those things. I mean, what 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 pops into your mind? What are the barriers and the challenges? I guess that we face to taking, for instance, this this innovation uh, that we've now reached here in Detroit and and making it work for those mm-hmm. outcomes that you were talking about. It, there are so many facets to that. <laughs> um, you know, let me start with the, the our system of government is. Uh, disaggregated. You have a lot of control at the local level. Uh, you have even more. You have some control at the state level, and of course the federal level. And at each level of government, you have different uh, checks and balances put in place to make sure that investments are being made and changes to the built environment are done so in a way that is fair and equitable. Uh, what that typically turns translates to is what some folks call delays, right? Uh, it takes a pro- it takes a while uh, to go through the public process and the stakeholder engagement process, but that those processes were put in place for a reason. Uh, now, can they be made more efficient? Absolutely, and we have to really uh, work hard to do that because we are going we are now competing uh, against Europe, against China to be leaders in this transition, and uh, to do that means we're going to have to do things that we haven't uh, done in a long time: extracting minerals mining, other sorts of things that are controversial but necessary in order to you know, get to a place where we're not dependent on fossil fuels. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today.
I want to read a couple of uh, Twitter comments that we've made. Lots of folks uh, talking about this subject today. Uh, Michigan Made Man says they keep somehow falling for the next, quote, shiny thing instead of the basic infrastructure that would benefit the most people. Kind of like the people mover and the queue line. He's taken two shots there at uh, the public transit that we have in downtown and midtown Detroit. Uh, I would agree with you that that we haven't we have not pursued public transit in a really rational way or effective way in Detroit. I would take issue with your shot at the people mover, though. Uh, everyone hated that for a really long time, made a lot of fun of it. But I challenge you to go downtown uh, Detroit now and try to get around without uh, the people mover really easily. Uh, also, notice how many people are on it. Um, you know, 40 years, we're coming up on 40 years of the people mover. I think it, it plays differently now than when it was first uh, constructed. But I, but I do uh, agree with you about the way we pursue transit generally. Uh, David on Twitter says, the focus on battery-powered EVs is too narrow. It trades one devil for another, gas and oil, for battery materials. All mining for fuel is destructive to the environment. We should also be looking at tried and true electrification options, but that requires more investment in transit. Uh, Nick Nigrell, I'll show I'll throw that comment to you for uh, response. Are we are we thinking too narrowly by thinking about EVs? I would say no in in short. Uh, for several decades, and we've tried to figure out and experiment with different fueling alternatives to oil. Uh, you know, you can go all the way back to methane in the early 80s and the late 70s. We, we had an oil crisis in this country, and uh, we, we tried to reduce our dependence on oil through fuel economy standards, uh, shifting houses off of oil, etc. Um, battery electric vehicles are the technology that has essentially won uh, in, in transportation um, because it, it accommodates uh, all of the transportation needs people have. Uh, it, it does so cost effectively. Uh, in fact, the performance of these vehicles is better uh, than most gasoline vehicles. And so it kind of checks all the boxes. I sympathize with the, the sort of perspective that you know, you, you do have to extract minerals. Batteries, you know, uh, do require some resource extraction, uh, but that can be done in a way that's far more environmentally friendly and uh, secure uh, from a you know energy security standpoint than our dependence on oil. And that that's in part what are the goals of IRA is is to make sure that we're building that supply chain. Uh, that that's going to be much more friendly to our national security and to our environment than the one that we're dealing with today. Yeah. Uh, the Chips and Science Act, I think, also is a key piece of, of that and makes it uh, more imperative, I guess, for us to focus on that supply chain and making it domestic uh, or more of it domestic uh, than it is now. Of course, you know, we, we learned, I think, a pretty hard lesson during the pandemic about how vulnerable that supply chain is uh, because so much of it is dependent on imports. Yeah, indeed. I think it, the, the lessons from the pandemic, but also the lessons from, uh, you know, the wars that we had in uh, the early 2000s mm -hmm. are that we need to make sure that whatever energy sources we rely on uh, are are got retrieved from 
countries that share our values. And, you know, that is just battery electric vehicles are great because they're reliant on electricity. And guess what? We can power the grid from all kinds of sources, solar, wind, nuclear, and other sources that uh, don't, that, that can be generated domestically. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. Let's start today with Peter in Detroit. Peter, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Stephen. I mm-hmm. uh, want to start with one thing, Stephen. A while ago, I called your show and was telling you to settle down about <laughs> AI taking over the world. Yes. And you said, not yet. <laughs> and I want to tell you, your voice is important here. You need to get on board with this. This is coming. None other than General Motors back in 1956 had a, a, a traveling road show talking about the future of, of uh, automobiles. And they predicted at a time when they were just building the interstate highways, that they would soon be electrified and cars would drive automatically on these electrified roads. If you go to a, a website called Paleo Future, they've got, they've got pieces of this, this huh. short film that they had. And General Motors thought that we would be having driverless cars, yeah. cars that were electrified, and would be on a road that was electrified. And we're, we, we have just taken a step towards that. This can happen. It's in, it, it probably will. This is, you know, almost 65 years ago that they predicted this, but here we are. On that same website, by the way, they have things that were, that were in the home, like a little box that would electronically cook food in minutes rather than hours, <laughs> yeah. and a little box that would drive around your living room and vacuum the floor, and you didn't have to. Uh, we've got both of those things yeah, now. We do. There's no reason why we can't have this. Yeah, you know, so Peter, your your memories here trigger some of my own. I I I I wonder if you remember in the late seventies, early eighties, there being this display at Hudson's, and I think it was a holiday display that was supposed to be about the future of downtown Detroit, and had things like moving sidewalks. Uh, it had a people mover. I do remember that, and it did have electric vehicles on it. Um, uh, and I can remember being really fascinated by that. Of course, uh, that was right before Hudson's closed and and uh, moved to uh, to its suburban shops, and we lost those kind of those kind of uh, events and displays there. But 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 you're right. I mean, a lot of this has been predicted. I'm 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 not ready to to be all in though, Peter. Uh, at least not personally, because I do not want to add. Uh, the the sort of in in head calculations about uh, how much power I have in the car and where the nearest charging station is to my day. I th- it's one thing that's one more thing to have to think about, and I am I'm just not there. Um, uh, but I hear you about not uh, naysaying the potential for the technology or the effect that it's going to uh, have on a uh, have on us. Uh, Nick Nigra, I wonder what your reaction yeah, is. Yeah, can Peter. I jump in on that? Yeah, go ahead. Because uh, you know, I I've been working on this issue, electric transportation, for about fourteen years now, mm-hmm. and what you're talking about is what people refer to as range anxiety. It's this idea that, like, oh my gosh, I'm not going to be able to get to where I need to go because mm-hmm. I'm going to run out of juice. Totally rational uh, when you're thinking about a new technology like an electric car. Um, and back in the beginning of this you really it was a real valid fear because you had 
a car that could only travel 75 miles or so on a charge. That's a big reason that GM uh, built the Chevy Volt. It had a gasoline engine backup just in case, a plug-in hybrid, they call it. Those plug-in hybrids still exist for mm -hmm. folks who continue to have this concern about range anxiety. But when you look at what vehicles are out there on the market today and how people typically charge, the vehicles that the Chevy Bolt with a B uh, and all and upwards of 50 models travel over 200 miles on a charge. And that's going to accommodate nearly everyone's daily driving needs. And so long as you can come home and park and charge wherever you park, you're in good shape. And that last bit, bit makes it a bit hard for some folks like me who park on the street here in D.C. Um, but, it, you know, for most Americans, they park in a driveway or in a garage, and that's pretty close to an outlet. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, Peter, I appreciate the call and the comments and uh, keep after me. Eventually, uh, I suppose I will come around like uh, lots of other people uh, have done to this idea of the EV. Uh, let's go to, uh, next to Zachary in Detroit. Zachary, welcome to the show. Uh, hey, uh, I have one comment and, and one question. Uh -huh. uh, the comment is on actually plug-in hybrids. I, I think the OEMs have really uh, kind of failed to promote those because they meet both needs. Um, if you have one, and I've, I've used one for a while, you almost never use gas running your, your errands and, and commuting to work. And if you go out of town for a long trip, you can use gas. So uh, I think we'll see that the OEMs maybe start pushing those more. Um, uh, and my question is on uh, charging infrastructure in, like, gas stations. Why is there not – why are there not gas stations with, with, with charging, you know? If there are half as many, you know, gas charging stations as there are normal gas stations, I don't think people would have the concerns that they have. So um, that, that, that's my question. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, really appreciate the call and the questions, uh, Zach. Uh, Nick, go ahead. Yeah, really great questions. Uh, so plug-in hybrids, you know, I mentioned the Chevy Volt uh, just a, a few minutes ago. That, that car was sunset uh, a few years ago. And uh, there are still plug-in hybrids that are out there in the market, and more of them are entering because I believe the caller's right that for some segment of the population, you know, that that plug-in hybrid is that certainty for them. Uh, they don't have to deal with charging on a long trip, um, but they can electrify a lot of the miles they travel in and around town. The challenge with that technology is just, it's more complicated. You know, the drivetrain is more complicated. You've got more parts, you've got more things going on. And so that can make it more expensive. Uh, up until recently, uh, you know, the idea of building a all electric vehicle that could travel hundreds of miles on a charge was more ex was too expensive for people because battery costs were too high. But those have since come down. And so the industry has recognized what effectively Tesla demonstrated, uh, not to bring in a, a, a non-Michigan automaker into the conversation, but they demonstrated that you can build a charging network and you can have an all electric vehicle that can travel hundreds of miles and folks don't have range anxiety. You've never heard a Tesla driver talk about it. Yeah, yeah. To the other part, the question about the gas stations, that's changing quickly, uh, but the jury's still out on, you know, what is the fast charging site of the future? Uh, the, there's a federal program that comes out of the infrastructure law called the National Electric Vehicle Infrastructure Program, NEVI for short. It's about $5 billion. It's intended to, to dot charging sites every 50 miles nationwide, hmm. effectively building a, a backbone for the country. Uh, and the second most uh, awardee so far is actually pilot travel centers. 
Uh, and so there are going to be some amount of gas station companies that are going to participate huh. in this transition. Yeah. But that it's it's not it's not a done deal. There's, yeah. It's an it's an open place. Though. Yeah. Uh, you know, we don't have pilot uh, transit centers in in Michigan, but they are in in Ohio. As soon as you cross the border, in fact, uh, uh, the first stop uh, on uh, I seventy five is uh, there's a there's a pilot travel plaza. Uh, but but I, I, I want to quickly ask you again about whether. The road electrification is the solution. I mean, uh, we've only got about a minute about a minute left, but you're mm-hmm. talking about having stations placed every so often and and how expensive that would be. But why not just electrify the roads? i I think the short answer is it's going to be too expensive in the near term. You know, we have a grid that's built out uh, to deliver power to man, many places where people stop yeah. and getting power to a parking spot is going to be a lot more cost effective than tearing up a road. Not to mention the technology is not built into the cars today mm-hmm. or the trucks, and that adds a lot of cost. And right now, uh, you know, EVs are competing with gasoline vehicles and cost is a major factor for everyone. And so adding more technology to, to support wireless charging, I don't see it happening in the near term. I do think it's something that it's got a possible future down the road, but right now, all the money is going to charging stations, uh, fast charging, and uh, allowing people to basically use their EV as their everyday car. And uh, that's where I see us going uh, for at least the next several years. Yeah. Okay, uh, Nick Nigro of Atlas Public Policy. Really great to have you here with us. Talk about this. Thanks, Thanks so much. Yeah. Today's episode of Detroit Today was produced by Sam Corey and Nick Austin. Our technical director and engineer is Nate Bender. Our assistant producer is Maddie Boyer. Editing and mixing is by Connor Anderson. Our music is by Sam Bobian and Will Sessions. Our podcast manager is David Lyons, and our program director is Adam Fox. Detroit Today is a production of WDET Public Radio. If you love the conversations we have on Detroit Today, consider donating to WDET, the public radio station in Detroit that we call home. If you want to be a part of the conversation and call in, you can listen live every day on WDET.org or on the WDET mobile app. Or if you live in Southeast Michigan and still love listening to good old-fashioned radio like me, tune in to 1019 FN.